Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're talking about virtual learning, a thing that maybe a year ago we didn't think we'd need to talk a whole lot about. Now we're all thinking about it. It's no longer marginal. It is central. Yeah, it certainly is. And we have all had... um, miscellaneous experiences with it thus far. No doubt about it. Well, we talk to teachers and they have mixed reviews. Most of them are not so good. But Andrew, I was thinking the other day about um, my first experience virtual learning. When I was learning through someone on a screen, um, Andrew, I would say the best word I could use to describe the experience was clunky. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm just not the tech savvy guy, so I'm always asking. In fact, when we started today, I asked you some question about this. So I'm trying to tune in. I'm trying to take notes, and I kept leaning in going, can, can you say that again? Can, can you can can you say that again? So I'm sure she was thinking, I wish you would have never enrolled in this, yeah. in this class. So It happens to a lot of us. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of technologically challenged folks out there. One of the experiences we've had during quarantine is um, we have had to adjust our Habitudes training yeah. event. It's now called the Next Generation Facilitator Certification, um, and it's a virtual-only event. Yeah. Well, you know, some people log into that virtual event, and they're not aware of what's going on with their sound or their camera or other yeah. things. Yeah. Um, they're present, but they they don't know all the, you know, technological features. So <laughs> I will remember the second training that we did. We were all kind of, uh, during a break, um, you know, we were still logged in and we were looking at all of the cameras and one guy walks by his camera in his bedroom with his shirt off just right there in front of, the, in front of everyone during the training. I'll tell you, that's something that's never happened at our in-person no, training no, event. No, never in our in-person training at all. Yes, but, but yeah, he just wasn't cognizant of the fact that they're seeing my bedroom. Yes. They're seeing me. You know, I think he thought we're on a break, therefore nobody yeah, can yeah, see me. Right. But I yeah. think that obviously those two things don't don't equate with one another. We had a whole other instance where I was in the middle of teaching during uh, one of the sessions, and all of a sudden the sound came through, and it sounded like somebody was at a basketball practice. <laughs> I still to this day don't know exactly what happened, but it certainly sounded like uh, somebody was in the middle of coaching basketball practice and tuned in to our training at the same time. I'm not sure, but... I'd call that multitasking. Indeed. If there ever was multitasking, that would be it. But it's just a reminder of uh, of how funny it is, Um, you know, us all trying to adjust to this virtual space. Yeah, we just weren't ready for it. Yeah. Um, I talked to a school, a high school principal that said, you know, we, we just got ambushed by this thing. This is a change we all knew needed to come in education, K-12 yes. education, yeah. but we just, it happened so abruptly, we just weren't quite ready. And my guess is our listeners, Andrew, right now are thinking, yep, I can tell you my story that was less than optimal trying to do this. Maybe not the end of the world, but certainly something we've got to adjust to in a, in, in a fast way. Yes. Yeah, and the thing that I have experienced is like even even those who are at the peak of their technological knowledge yeah. still struggle. It's still yeah. difficult. Um, I actually had the pleasure last week of tuning in to hear a virtual Habitudes presentation. So uh, one of our partners, Patrick Irwin, is a fantastic leader here in Georgia, and he was um, he was leading a Habitudes presentation in a virtual classroom. So it's he's actually a band teacher that does leadership yeah. lessons as a part of his 
band instruction. This is a guy who has been using cool technology yes. in his classroom for years. I got to go into his classroom a couple years ago. So he's one of those very tech-savvy teachers out there. But I could tell even he is struggling, right? In order to make it work, he's calling people out. He's using the chat. He's using video. He's yeah. got crazy backgrounds behind him to keep kids' attention. He's even... Um, taken the curriculum and added certain activities into a separate app called Goose Chase where kids can earn points for taking notes, basically. Wow. Is, wow. And he's constructed all of this stuff just to make the virtual classroom as exciting as it possibly can. And I know he even still, he, he told me afterwards, I'm still struggling to keep yeah. kids engaged, yeah. which I just thought if he is still struggling, then that's the, the lesson for all of us. I think we're all in that place. Yeah, no doubt about it. So moms and dads that we've talked to um, agree there's a huge problem with distance learning. Uh, they, you know, Moms and dads are taking turns watching the kids at home who are trying to do school and yet trying to get their own work done. One parent said, and I quote, we barely survived the months of March through May. That was the last school year, obviously. And I'm not prepared to have my kids home this fall. I'm begging my school district to let them back on campus. <laughs> and that's a survival thing. It's not yeah. necessarily because I don't care about their health. It's just I don't know if we're going to make it if we don't get back to normal. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the same is, thing is being experienced by the kids themselves. Yeah. I know yeah. um, you actually heard um, yeah. one parent of a middle schooler say, my teen has told me this is hell, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's exactly the experience. In fact, it's re reminding me, Tim, of that student video that you found last week yes. called Numb. I think it's a yeah. student in Canada. Yeah. But this student just made a, a home movie that yeah. was really well done, by the way. Yeah. But it was basically showed them having to, looking at all the Google Classroom assignments yes. that they're managing, all of the emails they're getting yeah. from their teachers, and then it shifts into a time lapse yeah. where they're basically, they're not moving, their clothes are changing and their hairstyles changing, yeah. but everything else about their life is staying the same, yeah. which is exactly, I think, what students are experiencing yeah. Listeners, right now. Listeners, you ought to look this up on YouTube. It's called Numb, and it's just a great picture of what's going on in a, in a teenager's life as they learn virtually. So, um, yeah, this is just, just a dilemma that we're going to have to address, and we're going to try to address it in the few minutes we have here. Absolutely. Well, as we're thinking about the best way to, um, to execute virtual learning, you said something the other day. You kind of had a little phrase that I thought was really fascinating for us to think about. How do we do this well? Well, we have to learn from the virtual experiences that students are drawn to, right, yeah, and see yeah. can we learn anything. So will you share that phrase uh, with, with us? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> we're either going to need to commit ourselves to be as good as Netflix is, or Hollywood, or video yes. games, yeah. or we're going to have to position ourselves to do what they can't. Yes. So, Andrew, I try to be good, you try to be good up front when we're instructing students, but I don't know if I'm as good as Netflix, Game of Thrones, House of Cards, yeah. I'm not that good and I don't have the budget that Hollywood has to do, so I've got to somehow switch gears and decide I'm going to find a way to teach virtually that's going to be as engaging as possible using the tools I do have. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, what we do is what we lack in uh, engagement in our teaching style. Yeah. It's, there's only so much engagement you can really do. Yeah. We're going to have to make up for an interaction yes. with our students. Yeah. That's the way we're going to win this. And I think that's so, so good. Yep. Well, let's jump in and talk just a little bit. I know you found some research about distance learning, uh, yeah. why it's causing so many issues and what different... Um, people are saying about it. So will you dig into that a little yeah. bit with us? So listeners, before we jump into the five big ideas we'd like to share on how to make this work, 
I want to share just a handful of thoughts as to why it's such a problem. Maybe even putting our finger on the problem will help us get to the solution faster. Yeah, I think so. So first and foremost, many homes uh, for both teachers and students lack computers or high-speed internet access. Yeah. So we weren't ready internet-wise or Wi-Fi-wise to yeah. be doing this virtual learning. Even if we had a, a tablet, uh, we, we, we weren't ready for it. So that's one big one, like for 15 million uh, Americans. Wow. Uh, a, a second reason, many families are led by a single parent with multiple kids. So if they ha hope to put any food on the table, they're going to have to go to work. Well, these kids who might be seven years old uh, are just not ready to be yeah. unmanaged. Imagine a situation where it's a single mom who's a nurse and her oh, children are seven and nine. What is she supposed to do? Yeah, and that happens. Yeah, it that does happen. Happens. And then, of course, there's many homes that, are, that have already endured mental health crises and domestic abuse that just got worse during this quarantine. If you're in an unhealthy environment and now you're stuck, you can't get out, it's just, it's just worse. So yeah. um, one last thought. Virtual learning has not kept us from in-person learning uh, so far. So um, I, I believe we're going to have to follow some hybrid model. Yes. But when we are at home, there's going to be some, I think, actionable steps we can take that make it actually doable. Yeah. I think right now what we're seeing, especially since March, is we're seeing a lot of technological innovations in the area of virtual learning are, are starting to come out. Lots of people pivoted yeah. and they said, oh, I'm going to invent this new technology. Realistically, we should have been doing that three yes. years ago. Yeah. That technology yeah. should have been explored, but we just didn't prioritize it like we should have. And now we find ourselves in this situation yeah. where we're really playing catch up. So many schools did not have adequate technology for a virtual classroom uh, when that was really something we should have been investing in. But this is just something we're going to have to adapt to now. Realize where we're at and ask how do we improve the virtual classroom, increase, as we talked about, more and more interaction and engagement yeah. with our students. So uh, let's dive into the sort of meat and potatoes of this and talk about five ideas we can employ uh, to better engage our, our kids um, in the virtual classroom. Good. So let me just address who this is for. Yeah. Um, if you're a parent, first and foremost, I encourage you to consider following these ideas or maybe yeah. three out of five ideas. Yeah. These might be relevant for you. If you're a teacher... I would say recommend these habits to parents and students that you work with. And maybe you're both. Maybe you're a teacher and a parent. You're going, I could use, I could use that. Um, so five ideas, number one. Let's jump in. The first one, it's really simple. In fact, so simple that you might go, that doesn't even need to be talked about, but I, I think it does. Develop a clear daily schedule. So keep in mind, psychologically speaking, people need clarity to gain energy. Yeah. Uh, and when we're at home and we weren't planning on being at home, remember last April and May, it just became for many homes a bad place because there wasn't a clear schedule. What you have on the school campus is a clear schedule. Absolutely. At 8.05, math starts. At 9.05, you know, mm -hmm. literature starts. So I think we need to not underestimate that maybe on the refrigerator of the home, here's Susan and here's Todd's you know, schedule, mm -hmm. and we lay it out really, really, really clear. Um, I would say uh, one path toward clarity is that daily agenda that outlines not only school activities, but even personal activities, yes. maybe chores. Maybe the chores get done for the first time in family's history <laughs> because you know, we were stuck at home and we've got nothing else going on. So now... Keep in mind, this may get pushback from kids. Uh, most don't know how much they need a schedule. Certain temperaments do, but most, would you not agree? Yes. For an adolescent, they go, I don't want a schedule. I feel yeah. boxed in. I feel like I'm a slave to this schedule. But they actually need it. 
they feel like it diminishes their freedom when in fact it actually frees them mentally to get more done and enjoy more free time because they're uh, chalking things off the list. Absolutely. And this we've talked we talked many times about the importance of margin in a kid's day. Sometimes yeah. the best thing you can do in a virtual classroom situation is schedule the margin, yeah. right? Yeah. And say, hey, I'm going to schedule some time that's unplanned, right? So it's in your yeah. calendar, but you can do whatever you want with it. And I think uh, even um, helping kids by saying, uh, you know, you can have free time, but it needs to be in this window can be a really helpful way to kind of marry the two realities there. No doubt about it. So something Stephen Covey said years and years ago, I've held on to it. The issue is not prioritizing your schedule, but rather scheduling your priorities. Absolutely. If you say this is important, and, and I think it needs to be a collective thing, the, the, the young person and the parent or whatever, getting together and saying this is the stuff that needs to get done by Friday, let's put it in and make sure it gets written down. That's good. All, All right. right, so that was number one. Let's do number two. Number two, set up different areas of the house for different activities, subjects, and goals. So most adults and kids fare better when rooms are utilized for specific activities. Mm. This way, your brain sets an expectation with each location. By the way, this happens on a school campus. We walk into a gymnasium. We know this is where phys ed happens you yep. know, or games happen or whatever. Yep. You walk out of the gym. You walk into a science class, a bunch of you know, Bunsen burners and beakers and everything. We know what happens there. Yeah. I think we need to try to emulate as much as we can that sort of environment in our home. So you may have an arts and crafts area that's all set up for arts and crafts, an open space for phys ed maybe, I don't know, maybe that's in your garage or maybe out in the driveway, a place for reading that has no distractions, no screens, it's just for books and highlighters or so forth, so you don't get distracted by that, you know, Grand Theft Auto or whatever that, you know, video game is that you love. I just feel like this totally makes sense and it sets the brain up for re-engagement in the exact thing that needs to be done. Couldn't agree time. more. I'm actually, I'm laughing right now because I'm thinking of um, uh, Aaron, who's one of our co-workers here, who walked by his son's room the other day, and his son was in the middle of his room just doing jumping jacks. And he said, what are you doing? He said, Dad, I'm in PE. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And there's so many kids, yeah. I think, probably there's a lot of people shaking their heads right now yeah. and saying, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. If we can organize our homes a little bit more yeah. around this, I think it'll yeah. be less jarring uh, of an experience. It's still going to be a jarring experience, but this could be a way that we uh, sort of take the edge off more yeah. or less. Well, and once again, it gives the gift of clarity. Yeah. I'm not ambiguous or fuzzy going through my day. I know in this room, this is what I'm doing and I nail it for 50 minutes. Love it. All, All right, right, number three. Number three. The third idea is look for lessons in your everyday life and discuss them. So school doesn't have to be limited to nine to three or whatever your school hours are. I mean, you now are a parent slash teacher. Maybe you do this anyway, but if you don't, Oh, you can only imagine, Andrew, my home with my kids growing up. Everything was a life lesson. Everything. I'm sure. I'm we sure. watched Dumb and Dumber, and it was a life lesson. You know, Somehow, Tim connected the dots. Right? Yeah, and made it a leadership lesson. So um, I probably overdid this with my kids as they grew up, but our kids learned that life itself was a classroom, and we needed to go to school every day. So we constantly made the world our classroom, taking walks, uh, looking out in the backyard and doing this or that or the other. Uh, ingredients came as we cooked in the kitchen. 
we, we talked about math and measurements and this and that. Uh, we Seriously, you know this already. We'd go see movies, and we'd go to Starbucks afterwards. Yep. We'd get a little latte or frappuccino, and so it was really fun, but we'd debrief the story and the characters and the worldview that they had, and, and it was usually a fun movie, but we would still unpack and learn from anything. I love it. I yeah. love it. So I, I would say... Now that Bethany and Jonathan are adults, 28 and 32 years old, they're now choosing to continue to do that. Yes. Neither one of them have kids yet, but um, like they all choose, we'll still do family vacations together because, you know, I'm the funder. Yep. But anyway, they, they want to go to Washington, D.C. and learn about history. And ah. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, who are you? Yeah. Well, they're kids that grew up in a home. Yeah. Where they're products of you is what they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For better or for worse. Yeah, that's right. But um, anyway, I just, I just love that. And I think that can be instilled inside them. I do, the, too. The yeah, this is a crucial moment uh, for a lot of these kids to begin seeing the world this way. And it's not something they're going to regret later on yeah, in life that's right. if they begin to do it. So I yep. love that. Good. All right. All right. So number four, number four, give them ownership of what and how they learn. So obviously kids are, uh, earn the right to autonomy as they show that they're responsible. You can't just say you're free and you're six, you know. But um, I believe as they get older, you need to look for them to give you tips that they're ready for ownership. But um, I think you'll likely find they engage better in their growth and actually learn more because they got to figure it out. Mm. So this is metacognition. We've spoken about that before on this podcast. But when the, as much as you can say, how would you like to earn that or, or learn that, son? And how would you like to earn those points for this grade? And, oh, I'm telling you, the more they own, uh, the better their learning is going to be. That's true for all of us. We learn on a need-to-know basis. This creates the need-to-know. Mm. So um, I'm just a fan of that. Um, so uh, I was thinking of Rashad, our man here in the room, with his nephew. Remember Rashad when he wanted to cook pancakes? And you were kind of leading him through <laughs> cooking pancakes, but he, he had to make some mistakes. He was so sure, wasn't he, that he knew what he was doing. And you were just the uncle right there standing by, and, and it was quite, quite a great experience, I think, wasn't it? So anyway, I just feel like everything can be this, and I think we need to give them ownership. This is, of all the chances we've had, in American public school education history, this is the chance we got to give them ownership. Yes. Because they're not going anywhere. Yes. And, and you've got other things to do, don't yep. you? Yeah. So this is our chance. Um, I, I just, yeah, I'm just a believer in this. Yeah, it's a crucial opportunity, um, especially because it, the reality is the kid is not there in your classroom. They're at home. So the amount of control you could have anyways is already reduced. Yeah. Now is a great opportunity for you to begin doing what maybe should have been happening yeah. a while ago and say, you know what, I'm going to give you the problem. I want you to find your way to the solution. Yeah, you know? that's right. Um, and I, I love this style of instruction. I think it's the, the style of instruction that kids are craving, but I think yes. it's also the style of instruction that's going to most get them ready for this world that we're entering into, yeah. where people at, at work give you a problem to solve and you got to find your way to the solution. Yeah. Uh, this is a crucial uh, skill that they're developing. So let me set this up real quick before we go to number five. Uh, what I remember when Rashad told me the story was, his nephew was saying, I want to make pancakes. And Rashad began with a question. Do you know how to make them? 
And of course, they have different levels of certainty. You know, yeah. so the arrogant kids go, of course I do. Yeah. But see, that gives you a chance. Okay, I'll watch. You, you show me. And then you s- suddenly learn, oh, there's some things you don't know. You know. But then if they say, no, I don't, that gives you a chance. You've just been invited to give them some coaching. So either way, you win. Yes. But start with questions, not answers yes. or statements. I think we end up with a better learning experience. I love it. All right. Take All right, the so last the, one. The, the last one, number five, set an example for lifelong learning. Mm. I actually believe that the best way we teach is not through verbal instruction, it's through our model. And what I've tried to do, and I have failed uh, numerous times, but is to model for my own kids. I'm still learning myself at my age. Uh, and they're always very aware of how old this, this old man is. <laughs> so um, nothing reinforces successful adjustment to in-home learning than becoming a guide for them in your own reading. They should see you read yeah. uh, books. Uh, they should see you problem solving. They should see you engaging in creativity in stuff that you don't know how to do yet. Maybe you're coming up with your own recipe in the kitchen and they're watching, but they see, oh my gosh, dad's not afraid to try something new and he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. That's how I feel, you know? Yeah. So I, I just feel like when we model them for this in our lifestyle, they get to see, they get to see learning happen organically. Um, now I meet with my adult children and, and, and I seek to learn. Um, I've told you this before, both Bethany and Jonathan teach me something almost every time I'm with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you Jonathan, let them know that they teach I you I do. Things, yeah. In fact, I love saying it to them. And it's not just for them to hear and feel better. I just want them to know, okay, this is normal. You never stop learning. You never yeah. stop learning. But that takes me, you know, I need to eat a little humble pie and say, I didn't know that. Yeah. You're 28. And I'm 60, and I didn't know that, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. So um, I just feel like it, that's, that's, that's key. Uh, they always smile when I say that, but I, I've seen them, Andrew, now reciprocate that to me. I just had a conversation with Bethany two nights ago. She has an opportunity in front of her, and I shared a thought, and I thought, oh, I don't know if I should have shared this because she doesn't like her dad being her teacher anymore. She's 32. And she said, Dad, that's a great idea. I almost fainted because she said that's great. You're like, wow, I haven't heard that phrase. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, I'll stop there. But those those are the five ideas that I think are doable for anybody. And uh, I think we need to do them. Absolutely. Well, yeah, these are, uh, I think all five of these are crucial ideas, but especially that last one, the modeling lifelong learning. We're going to talk about in just a minute opportunities that we might you might have to actually continue your lifelong learning. I think this season of virtual classrooms and quarantine and all of that could present itself as an opportunity, not just to them to, yeah. to enter into a different style of learning, but also to us to have a little bit more flexibility and yeah. learning time to develop uh, our own person. So I want to talk about that in just a minute. But I know I think you have a closing couple closing thoughts there. Well, yeah, real quick. Uh, what, are, what I feel like I've noticed, and listeners, you may say that's me or that's not me, but is we started this pandemic thing well. We were very intentional, but over time we became laissez-faire. Yeah. In other words, I'm just over it. I'm just done. I'm exhausted. And now it's time for school to start back up. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know? So I think we've just got to make sure that these ideas or whatever ideas you've got on your own, set them up and be intentional this year. Clarity. For these five, uh, five ideas, I think, at least give you a little bit of clarity where you stay deliberate in your leadership in the home. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. Well, I wanted to close with a, uh, an idea. We, we actually talked at the very beginning about one of our favorite um, folks out there, Patrick Irwin. I got to, as I said, sit in on his class, and, and I talked about this dual reality of being so impressed with what he had accomplished, and yet also having him tell me, 
this was really, really difficult. And I think that's probably the place that a lot of teachers feel caught in between. I'm working really hard to make this work because I care, yeah. but it's been super difficult. And yeah. so he and I had a conversation afterwards and I just asked him like, what, what uh, is the motivation for you to keep going, yeah. to put in all of this effort, to put in all of this work? Uh, how do you sort of stay focused on that? I was so impressed by his words that I thought, let's hear from Patrick. Yeah. So I, we actually want to listen in. I just recorded a, a, a quick you know, segment of our conversation because I, I want him to share with us, what does it look like to stay focused on the goal uh, of why we make these virtual classrooms so engaging? So let's listen in. What we found out really quick is that this remote learning environment is much more difficult than the face-to-face learning environment. Personally, lessons that would take me 10 minutes to prepare for are taking over an hour just to make sure that they're engaging and interesting from a remote perspective. All of that work and all of that extra time is what's necessary right now because we have to meet our students where they're at. And where they're at is in their homes. They're isolated. They're away from their friends, outside of their activities. And so every minute that I put in extra is one more chance that I might reach that student who needs me more than ever right now in this environment. Yeah, great attitude. It is, and I think what he sees is what some people see as a frustrating scenario, he sees as a great opportunity. Um, And he also sees it as worth it, right? Why would I put in an hour rather than 10 minutes of work? Because my student needs me more than ever, right? Um, And I know maybe this is not the job we signed up for, but it is the job that we have. And and all of us are in this scenario. All of us who lead kids are in this scenario where we have to go, uh, what extra efforts are required of me to meet the needs of the students who are in front of me? And this is exactly the scenario that I think so many listeners are in today. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for leading us through this. Virtual classrooms are going to continue to be a challenge, I think, maybe for the foreseeable future. Who actually knows? But we just want to encourage you and challenge you to make the most of the virtual classrooms that you're in. If this was a helpful podcast for you, uh, please feel free to share it. We would love for you to be able to do that. Um, I want to talk to you about an opportunity just really quick. We talked about the power of lifelong learning. Well, we actually have an opportunity for you to learn, even in your virtual space. It's a a training that we've, we've talked about called the Next Generation facilitator certification. This is a two-day virtual event, um, and we have one coming up on September 22nd and 23rd. It's a really great opportunity for you to learn more about the next generation, talk specifically about the challenges they're facing during this pandemic season, but also learn this tool of habitudes and image-based learning and how you might be able to leverage that to teach timeless skills uh, in a timely way to the next generation. It's a really fun two days. I think, I don't want to toot our own horn, but we've done a lot of work to make it as engaging and exciting and fun as possible. And you'll also get to meet leaders just like you from actually all over the world. We had a training um, about a month ago where we had uh, people there from nine different countries and people are doing Zoom rooms and connecting with one another from people, uh, with people all over the world. It's a really cool opportunity. If you're one of those folks who's saying, who's thinking I could use another learning opportunity like this, we just want to encourage you to do that. Um, You can go to the website for it and actually find out more information or even register, it's uh, go to growingleaders.com slash next generation facilitator certification. Uh, if you go to growingleaders.com and click on events, it'll be there too if you don't want to um, uh, type all of that in. But uh, it's a really great training opportunity coming up on September 22nd and 23rd. So we encourage you to be there. We'd love to meet you there. 
Um, as always, if you would rate this podcast, uh, give us five stars. That gets the word out about what we're doing here. Uh, feel free to follow us on social media. We'd love to connect with you. We're at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then lastly, if you have ideas for this podcast, uh, people you want us to interview, conversations you'd like for us to have, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Well, Tim, thank you so much for leading us through this conversation on how to have a great virtual classroom. We hope you continue to find innovative ways to connect with your students. It is such a vitally important mission. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.